Philippians chapter 3. Hey, the title of the message is Paul's Progress Plan while in prison and why it's important for us today. Philippians chapter 3. I just want to pray one more time. Lord, Lord, we love you and just thank you for you. Thank you that you're here in the room and we just, ah, we just, you know, give you our attention and humble ourselves and we, we you know, bow our heads, so to speak. You're our king, you're our Lord, you're our savior, our best friend. We're in awe of you. We're in awe of you, Lord, the, the hero of our life. You know, give us ears to hear, Lord, as you have said many times, what the Holy Spirit would say to us at this time. And I thank you for everyone in this room that you love with everything. Thank you that your love protects. Thank you that your love builds up, nourishes, strengthens. And I pray, have your way within our hearts. We need you. Daily basis, fill us with the fresh, with the Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. So I had this flashback just a couple days ago. I can actually close my eyes. I can still see this picture. I was in Montana at a stadium, University of Montana. I'd flown up with the team. It was UC Davis. My son was a quarterback there. So they were playing University of Montana. And I don't know if there's 30 or 40,000 people. It was totally packed. I mean, there's not a lot to do in Montana, I'll be honest with you. Then I got off that airplane. Airport, man, it was like totally silent. No one was there. Anyways, um, and it's just like, like thousands and thousands of people. So long story short, I just remember like UC Davis, my son is like, you know, they're about ready to score, maybe on the 12-yard line. I'm not trying to be a rah-rah. I got to give an illustration here, okay? So they're about ready to score. I got to tell you, that whole stadium was so loud. And they, they, you know, they accelerated the amplification. They actually want to undermine, they want to undermine the communication of the opponents, right? They, they, they don't want them to score. So that's why they're going crazy. And I, I can still, I can see it in my eyes because, you know, as a dad, man, it's, it's hard to watch your, your son play and uh, you feel everything. I think it's harder to watch than to play. So I was just feeling, and there's my son. And, like, and, he, and he called his team together and they huddled together. I mean, they really pressed in to ensure that uh, they were on the same page. They knew what the play was, right? Because the noise was purposed to cause chaos and to undermine progress. Now, let me just frame this uh, a little bit different way. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 tells us that prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, I want to say it this way, the noise is going to intensify. I mean, actually, there's going to be heightened Spiritual warfare, this is what the scriptures say, okay? We see increased lawlessness today, and when that takes place, it gives room to the evil one himself. You know, when we were in Jerusalem, I got to sit down with the editor-in-chief of TV7 Israel News, and some of you remember that, because we, you know, we got to have a little do a podcast with them. And my first question was, you know, what, how do you see the context of the times in which we live? Here's his answer, there's a lot of noise. And I was like, no, I had no idea exactly what he was talking about. It's a metaphor, of course. But there is a lot of noise internationally. There's noise at the border uh, of uh, our country. There's noise in culture. You know, Joel Rosenberg asked Secretary of State Mom, Mike Pompeo. I'm speaking in tongues again, so sorry. <laughs> Mike Pompeo. 
He said, what worries you that I am not asking you? Pompeo answered the southern border of the USA. I mean, did you know the Biden administration, under the Biden administration, there's been 5.7 million people that have illegally entered the United States. Do you know what that's the equivalent of? That's the equivalent of San Diego County as, and Orange County combined. That's a lot of people. The Constitution commands the president to protect states from invasion. All Israel News reports, Congress may have to impeach Biden if he refuses to secure U.S. borders. And if we ask the question, like, well, what happens? I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic at all. It's like, you know, but what happens if the U.S. is undermined from within? Because righteousness exalts a nation. But it's like, who is coming over the border? And these are just facts, okay? And the, this is not, you know, facts are not insensitive. Facts are not bigoted. These are just facts. It's just facts. It's like, you know, what's the long-term impact of this upon our country? I don't know. I don't know. But what happens if the U.S. falls? And I got a new perspective on this because I was watching this interview. And Finland's foreign ambassador recently said, Europe was rescued by America in World War I. Europe was rescued by America in World War II. Europe is being rescued today by America in the Ukrainian-Russian war. We've given $75 billion to it. I mean, there's a point to all of that. I'm just, I'm just saying, man, there's a lot of noise today. According to the Times of Israel, a fevered saber rattling already taking place between Israel and Iran. Israel's Secretary of Defense said, the dangers facing the state of Israel are intensifying and we may be required to fulfill our duty in order to protect the integrity of Israel, especially the future of the Jewish people. Look, I've been tracking like dynamics in the Middle East almost most of my life and stuff. I've never felt it more intense than it is today. I mean, I hope things calm down. But closer to home, radical noise. Now let's just talk about culture. It's insanity. It's insanity. You know this. I'm preaching. Oh my goodness, this is Rise Church, as if you don't know this. But it's like, hey, I mean, the idea of mutilating children's bodies, what is, are you kidding? That's insane, right? I mean, there's just certain things you want to put off. You want to make wise decisions in life, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong, for example, with getting a tattoo. But if you're going to get one on your face, for example, and it's like in the name of your girlfriend, you should probably wait, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I mean, I just, just... I mean, wait till you're 30 at least, right? Or then it's just like, now they're talking about mutilation. Look, here's the thing. Like mutilating bodies is not going to help anybody. We need to be transformed, okay, by the renewing of our mind. Jesus said a man must be born again to enter the kingdom. There's hope. There's hope for healing. There's hope for right balance and right alignment and right identity. And it comes in right relationship with God. Listen, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham in New Mexico just signed law that will permit minors access to sex change care and abortions without parental knowledge to consent. And it's like, so like, why am I mentioning this? It's like, and if you're new for, here for the first time, we're going to get to the sermon in just a little bit, right? Hey, a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And we're going to get to this, but 
believers have a responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves. Of course, now we just entered Pride Month. I think not dehumanizing, you know, homosexuals and stuff. We all need Jesus. We all need to repent. We all need to course correct. Can I hear an amen to that? But I just want to say, Proverbs 16, 16 says, pride goes before destruction. So I just want to get through a theological lens, okay? It's just like, hey, like, um, I'm going to usurp God's original design or like self-sufficiency. That's what pride is. That's not a good thing. So what do we need to do? I'm convinced we need to huddle up. Seriously, we need to huddle up. You know, I was just thinking of my son seeing his team really huddle up. Think of followers of Jesus, big stadium. You got an opponent, major noise in the stadium, seeking chaos to undermine progress. You need to huddle up. We need to be on the same page, not reactive, but proactive. Move forward together. And remember what Jesus said to the church. Look, you wait in Jerusalem. This is last week, right? Wait in Jerusalem because you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's like he gave them a play. It's like, okay, guys, it starts in Jerusalem. Then it's going to impact the entire world in a similar way. The context of Philippians chapter 3 is you have a man by the name of Paul. He's a Jew, obviously. He's in prison in Rome. He's about ready to face execution. Okay, He's there in origin because of fake news on the Temple Mount. Don't have time to address it. He's both a Jew and a Roman, uh, Roman citizen. So he appeals to the law to bring his case to the emperor himself. But at this time, when he's pinning this, there's so much radical noise in his life. And he's like, last three or four years, I mean, a lot more than that, but noise, full weight of the Roman Empire, threat potentially of execution, and eventually he was executed. And if you look at chapter 1 of Philippians as he's pinning this, it's like there's these bookends to the book. It's like he says, you know, once God starts a good work in you, he's going to complete it. So he has this confidence in the end. He just knows like, hey, Jesus conquered the grave. And I got to tell you, if you believe Jesus died on the cross, conquered the grave, you really believe that. So in other words, you have forgiveness of sins, right relation with God, and you will not die, you will live differently. You will live differently. You you will not fear God man, nor circumstance. You, you, you won't. I mean, it's like we're human and stuff. But Paul believed that. He's bold as a lion. He's like, you know what? Once God, once God begins a good work, he's going to complete it. And then he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the first chapter. Then if you jump to the fourth chapter, he's like, you know, I've learned to be content. The word content comes from the Stoic philosophers. But in this case, he's not saying I'm self-sufficient. But I'm God-sufficient. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like, seriously, if we were all huddled up, let's just say, you know, like the church, and Paul was the quarterback, if you will, and we got together, he might just say, look, this is the play. Man, this is like critical. What's the play? It's chapter 3, verse 10 down to verse 14. It's like, clearly, you're getting in the mind of one of the most extraordinary influential leaders in the history of men. 
And he says in verse 10, that I might know him. This is our, the, like the priorities defining his life. Know Jesus, the power of his resurrection. Fellowship of his sufferings. Hey, being conformed to the image of his death. We'll unpack it. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected or completed, but I press on. The word is agonize in the Greek that I may lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I reach towards those things which are ahead. I agonize, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Now there's basically like, well, there's a lot of things being said. I want to boil down like three things. Point number one, we have it on the screen is, he's saying that his aim, seriously, is not just to know about Jesus, but to experience Christ. To experience, that's what the word know is here. It's gnosko in the Greek. It's like, you know, I know a lot of people, but uh, I, know, I know of more people than I actually know. The knowing here is experiencing, like, hey, can you experience Jesus Christ? Yes. Can you experience the power of his resurrection? Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. Like, what does that even mean? You can have the assurance of what it means. Because his resurrection demonstrates he's true and his claims are true. Let me ask you a question. I think this is one that we should really think about. How is it, do you think, the Lord wants you to experience his resurrection power today. I mean, what did the resurrection accomplish? What does it mean? How do you benefit from it? Because there's nothing too great for Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? And as I mentioned earlier, your life is totally different. Actually, if you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, he's a great liberator. Seriously, like there's no habit that's too great than Jesus that he can't help you break it. He wants you to work with them. He wants to transform our thinking. Like Paul would say, he's in prison. He's like, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, for me to live as Christ, that's my chief priority. I want to honor and follow him. If I die, it's gain. I'm in the presence of Almighty God. One day I'm going to rule and reign with him. I'm a citizen of a kingdom. And in the meantime, I've learned to be content and that's a process. It involves right thinking to what is true. I need to meditate on it, right? And that I'm forgiven, loved, empowered. Jesus gives new identity of security and purpose. He's the great shepherd. It's like, let me just ask you, when we talk about resurrection power, do you know like the Lord is so involved in your life that he's already protecting, he's leading, he's guiding you? I mean, do you know that today, he wants you to. Jesus brings cleansing to our life. There's no stain he cannot remove. Isn't that good news? You say, well, Greg, you know, you just don't know where I've been. Well, I know where Jesus has been. And Jesus hung blood and gave his life on the cross for us. And he's cried, it is finished. You know, the great Charles Spurgeon, of course, he was preaching in the late 1800s, but he said, you know, they tell me he's a refiner, referring to Jesus, that he cleanses from spots. He has washed me in his precious blood. And to that extent, I know him. I know the power of his resurrection. They tell me that he clothes the naked. He has covered me with a garment of righteousness. And to the extent, I know him. 
They tell me that he is a breaker and he breaks fetters. He has set my soul at liberty and therefore I know him. They tell me that he's king, that he reigns over sin. He subdued my enemies beneath his feet and I know him in that character. They tell me he is a shepherd. I know him for I am his sheep. They say he is a door. I've entered in through him and know him as the door into right relationship with God. They say that he's food. In other words, he provides for the deepest hunger in my life. I know him. Look, Paul is saying, here's my aim. I want to know Christ, experiencing the power of his resurrection. And he also says, the fellowship of his sufferings. It's like, what does that even mean? You know, Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the greatest prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, in other words, because it identifies the coming Messiah, the great servant in that passage, the purpose to be the final Passover sacrifice for the sins of the world. There's a lot of dynamic to it. But we have it a little bit on the screen. I want to show you this here. This is part of the prophecy. Because we're now we're talking about what does it mean like the fellowship of his sufferings? Well, first of all, Jesus suffered. So it says he was despised, he was rejected by men, a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with grief. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but he was wounded for our transgressions. There's a purpose behind it. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his, what's the next word you guys? Stripes were healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's like the core problem of man, brokenness of relationship. That's what we see today all throughout the world. That's what we know in our own life. If we're misaligned with God vertically, it throws everything off on the horizontal life. There's like this fixed access. So Jesus came, bore the sin of the world. Bring us in right alignment with Almighty God. But to know Jesus, have relationship with him, means that, that we're, that we're going to suffer too. It's true. And the reason why is because we live in a broken world. The Bible says they that live godly shall suffer persecution. We're going to get pushback. There's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. A narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. Look, Jesus was perfect man, perfect method, perfect message, bringing completeness, a completeness to his generation, and yet suffered. Why? Because we live in a broken world. The question is, are, are you suffering? I mean, we, we all are probably in one way, shape, or form. God bless you. It's part of life. There is the fellowship of his sufferings. So in other words, we follow him and we experience the same type of pushback that he did we live in a broken world, but there's also fellowship with Jesus in suffering. So in other words, like he wants to meet you in your suffering. He gravitates towards weakness. He gravitates towards pain, my precious brother and sister. He moves towards it. So I just want to ask you, hey, are you suffering from abandonment? That's a bummer. I mean, Jesus knows. I mean, he was on the cross and in bearing the sin of the world, it's like he experienced the ultimate sense of abandonment willfully. 
You know, later Paul will be writing 2 Timothy. This is later in his life. He's about ready to be executed. He's standing before Nero, the Roman governor of the empire. And um, he writes about this and he said, no one stood with me. It's like he's in the courtroom and, you know, there's the emperor. I don't know if he was exactly there or represented, but, you know, the Rome, he's standing before the Rome. And, there he, and he looks back and like no one is in the room. But he says, but Jesus stood with me. It's like, what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean like Jesus stood with you? Like, how do you know? Like, he's in the, he's in the room with you, Paul? Did you see him? Was it like this manifestation of his presence? It's like, I don't know if it was. I don't think so. I think he just saw through the lens of what is true. Our Lord is with us. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, hey, look, the Lord was abandoned. He knows what it's like. He, he can totally relate to not only the idea of abandonment, but what it actually feels. He meets us in our suffering. Hey, I ask you, are you suffering from betrayal? That's a bummer too. I mean, betrayal is intentional wounding. Because we all fail each other in relationships because we're not perfect. But betrayal is intentional wounding. Jesus was intentionally wounded. He knows. Are you suffering from the weight of the world on your shoulders? You just feel, oh my goodness gracious. I'm going through so much. Jesus felt that. I mean, he literally had the weight of the world upon his shoulders. He's in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. My point is, he comes to us in our suffering. I'm telling you, just like... Have an open ear. Recognize he is present. I mean, I don't know. Are you disappointed? Are you suffering in your body? He actually will meet us in our suffering, comfort us. He'll actually redeem adversity. It's kind of like, you know, you look at an oyster. How is a pearl, you know, created from an oyster? By a little grain of sand gets in that oyster. It causes an irritation, and it's a successful response to an irritation. Something beautiful comes out of it. We don't often talk about this, but listen, there's redemptive reality to suffering. It's true. There is. In some ways, you know, it's that we can't build muscle unless there's some breakdown, of some, unless there's some opposition. Thanks for the illustration, bro. Uh, you know, uh, you inspired it right there. Um, but, but there's other things, like one of the things when we suffer, there's the amplification of the, of the volume of the truth of God's word. And it's in addition, it's like if I suffer, I am more compassionate and empathetic of the sufferings of other people. It's like, and actually, like when we suffer, it's important to be present in your pain. I mean, Jesus was, Jesus wept. I mean, there's not a greater man than Jesus. He's convulsing over the breakdown in Jerusalem. He's present in his pain. Because here's the thing. Amidst suffering, if we harden and we don't bring our pain to the Lord, our heart gets smaller. On the other hand, if it's like, no, man, I'm present in my pain. It's like, and I'm going to bring it before God. My heart gets larger with empathy and compassion for others. Fellowship of Christ's suffering. Well, Hey, listen, we're going to experience pushback. That's just the reality. We all know that. Suffering also brings into focus what really is of value, what matters. I mean, I think of the life of David Livingston, the great British missionary to India. He was honored by his government, buried in Westminster Abbey, London, and in his funeral procession, throngs lined the streets of London. And one man was particularly overcome. And he was asked, 
did you, did you know David? He said, yes, I knew David. David and I were boyhood friends. Later, we went to Africa together. David went for Africa's souls. I went for Africa's gold. And today, I realize I concentrated on the wrong world. You know, Jim Elliott, great All-American, stud, college wrestler, gifted speaker, and he wants to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians. Aka Indians have a reputation of killing any foreigner. I mean, I, I can understand why. It's like, who's, who is this coming onto our territory, right? But it's like they don't know the gospel. He steps in, makes himself available. People are like, Jim, all-American wrestler, great speaker. You could pastor a church, all these different things. And he said these words, no man is a fool to give up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So true. The reality is suffering can be redeemed because what it brings to the forefront is what is of value. Know the power of the resurrection today. Can I hear an amen to that? And then if you're suffering, he's with us. And he wants to comfort you. And in addition, suffering brings into focus even greater understanding of Jesus because he suffered. It's like, man, it's an awakener in a wonderful way or can be. And when Paul mentions here, conformed to the image of his death, sounds so stinking morbid. Conformed to the image of his death. Oh, hey, listen, if we get closer and closer and closer to who Jesus is in death, I mean, that's actually the better for our lives. You say, what do you mean? Because there's not greater love that's been ever demonstrated than when Jesus laid his life down. And that's what he's talking about. Conformed to the image of his death, he knows full well he's going to be treated as if he committed every stinking sin. He knows he is the solution to man's breakdown. He knows he's going to be crucified. Man, he keeps walking, walking selflessly, going into Jerusalem, despising the shame of the cross, the Bible says, but knows that what he will accomplish will bring the healing to the world. And the question that we should ask ourselves is like, man, what are ways we can actually love today? I mean, demonstrate selflessness for the benefit of other people. Because here's the thing, love is not a sentiment. It's an action. And most likely, it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. We need to realize one of the reasons the Lord has us here on planet Earth is for someone else. I mean, look for them today. I mean, look for them, even after church, while you're eating your burrito. And um, look for them. Listen, because the Lord has us here for the benefit of others. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, like love, it's like, you know, it, it involves two parties. Love is an action, as I said, not a sentiment, and the Lord has purposed our life to touch others. Um, in Jesus' radical suffering, think about it. He's on the cross. He has two thieves. They both mock initially. And then one comes to his senses, and like he turns them, and he gives them hope beyond the grave. Today you'll be with me in paradise. After actually confessing, confessing his need for Jesus Christ, my point is, is that the Lord is always looking for someone to love and to help. Now, I don't know. Look, I, I want to insert this real quick because I don't know if you've... I've been hanging around Eric McTaxis these last few days, okay? So it's rubbed off a little bit. Um, 
You know, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but I want to say this to the church family. Like, if you are white, and how many of you are white? No, just kidding. No, if you are white these days, hey, listen, congratulations, you're a racist. Okay, I got to go a little bit, right? And by the way, if you're a right Christian, you are a Christian nationalist. What does that even mean? I have no idea what that means, right? Of course, no one really does. But the implication is that there's a group of people who want to force conversion on other people or make Christianity the state-supported religion of the United States. Bogus, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. Thank God that's not going to happen. I mean, it's like we, we believe in freedom of religion. Can I hear an amen to that? Don't believe in any forced conversions. Are you crazy? I mean, Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem with his Islamic sword forcing people to bow. He came give, giving his life. So it's like, the reason I'm mentioning these things um, is because it's just all stinking noise. And it's intended to shut you up. It's true. It's like, here's the thing. Jesus came to bring regeneration, confront actually evil, breakdown. Love hates anything that undermines the, the recipient of that love's highest good. I mean, it's like anything that undermines potential, the potential of humanity, God hates it. God sent his only begotten son to bear the sin of the world, to bring regenerations. And he came to kill death. He came to confront Satan, to destroy him, right? So we need to remember, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's the starting line. It's not the finish line. The Lord has this here to not only embody the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope for mankind, but to embody what is right. You know, righteousness, law is like a cast, right? And it helps set breakage and bring healing. So it's important that we are a voice, and we all know this, goodness gracious, that, you know, lying is not good. Can I hear an amen to that? No, seriously, like honoring mom and dad, that's actually a good thing too. Hey, listen, another good thing is don't, like, create God in your image. God is etern eternal, the uncreated one. Don't take his name in vain. Don't empty it of its meaning. That's good. It's like, you know, um, when it comes to sexual purity, I mean, that's really good too. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus said, all begins in your heart. That's really good. Like, protect the nucleus of the home. That's an essential voice in the day in which we live. Not to mention, of course, thou shalt not murder, beginning in the womb. That is critical. The voice for righteousness is essential for us today, and we need to embody it. So I mentioned this under the banner of actually being conformed to the image of Jesus' death, because actually, this doesn't get bigger in terms of love. And we love how? We love in action, and we love with truth and exposing evil that is harming a generation, and we'll have radical, listen, I mean, it's just crazy what is happening. So look, I, I'll just say this, you know, keep, keep loving. And love God, love your neighbor, and love them in truth. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. Amen. Hey, point number two. This is what he said. You got to press on. Like he huddles up. We got to press on. Make progress in God's calling in your life. In verse 12, he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already completed, but I press on, lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. So it's like, 
It's almost like this idea, Jesus ran Paul down, tackled him from behind, laid hold of him and said, you know, Paul, it's like you're going to be a unique instrument to the entire world. You're a Jewish worshiper of the Lord God of Israel. Yeah, take the gospel to Jews, of course, but take it to the nations. God raised up Israel to impact the entire world. It's like you got the baton, take it to the nations. And the context here is the Apostle Paul was given a task, right, to bring the gospel to the nations. And he wouldn't settle for second best. He wanted to bring the gospel to Rome. He just never imagined, I'm assuming, I don't know for sure, that he would be as a prisoner. So as a prisoner, he ends up in Rome. Watch this. He's saying, you know, uh, God's called me. I'm not complete. I'm not perfected. No Christian is, right? I keep moving forward, laying hold why God laid hold of me. So he talks about in this book, hey, I'll paraphrase it. I'm like in prison in Rome, but uh, I'm able to influence the emperor's household, and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's like, you know, he's, he's called me to bring the gospel to the nations. I've been incarcerated for three and a half years. I'm going to stand before the emperor. Ultimately, I'm going to be executed and stuff. But hey, I keep agonizing. I keep moving forward in my calling, not to mention, even though he's incarcerated, right, he's writing letters. I mean, this letter that he wrote has been read by billions of people. So it's like, he's like, okay, well, I'm just not going to give up. God's call, I'm going like, to witness to the emperor's household. Not to mention, hey, what can I do to encourage the church? I'm going to pin some letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. He kept moving forward. Hey, man, there's, that's some holy sweat, you know, and that's biblical, by the way. We're to exercise ourselves unto godliness Work out our salvation. Just keep working. Keep moving forward. Work out what God has worked in us. We don't, we don't work for our salvation. We work out what he has worked in us. Hey, listen, I was recent. Did I tell you I have two granddaughters? Did I tell you that? I mean, it's an inside joke. I mean, um, but when we were in Florida, I, I got to tell you, it's like I was on the ground and I was with my grandchildren. We got three here. We got three in Florida. And um, Florida is a very flat place. I just need to get that in there. Okay, so anyways, so I was on the ground. So I have a six-year-old, Liam, and he comes up and he jumps on his back. Of course, he wrestles with his dad. I used to do the same thing with his dad. And uh, he jumps on my back. I'm like, oh, go, go. Liam, I say, no, right. No, I was like, no, right, awesome. I was Liam, of course, of course. And, it's like, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm out of shape. So I just said, I can't even believe that. Whoa, he's six years old, man. On the beach, he was like, Papa, just run with me, chase me. I'm like, okay, no problem. I say, jeez, I mean, kind of Lee. I'm like, this kid is fast. No, 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 no. Well, he is, but I'm like, I'm like increasingly getting slower, right? And I thought to myself, dude, I am getting like, I work out a little bit. First thing I do when I go back to San Marvista is I'm going to, like, sign up to work out someplace. And I did, actually. Because it's like, you got, you got to work out, right? You do. Paul is saying he never stopped working out. My point is, my precious brothers and sisters, 
The play is this, man, know the power of the resurrection and, and know Christ in suffering. And, and, you know, he's pruning your life to be the, seriously the greatest lover. I'm talking about lover of God and lover of other human beings. And that's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Can I hear an amen to that? Further, just like none of us are perfect. None of us are, have completed this, right? We're all in process. Keep agonizing. Keep reaching forward. That's what Paul's saying. It's absolutely essential. And then he says in verse 13, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, we read this, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press, now this is critical, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the upward call of God? Well, Point number three is, is that it's critical you let go of your past disappointments, and we all have them, and your failures and disillusionment. Hey, listen, it's possible to have a victim's mentality. What is, what is that? Um, it's, first of all, it's just, it's, 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 it's insidious. Is that the word? It's really, it's like, a victim's mentality is I've been injured, and we all have been injured, and I know some have been terribly injured in this room, and I'm so sorry for that. Terrible abuses. Okay. Um, but we, we cannot allow injury in our life to paralyze our progress. So it's just a victim's mentality is like, well, you know, I've been injured, and this has happened, and so I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to move forward. Listen. The Lord is a great healer, and he'll heal you, and he heals us. And we, we cannot allow an injury to us to paralyze us moving forward. You, you need to, you have to put in the past, and this is what Paul in principle is saying, you have to put in the past disappointments, failures, disillusionment. We all have them. Because here's the thing, if we don't do it, it will undermine our growth. And, and you have to understand, like even Paul here is like, I mean, how many months, how many days, how many years is he away from being martyred? What he's saying is that he's going to finish strong because he's in prep to serve Jesus Christ in his kingdom. That's the upward prize. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I mean, if a Christian dies, don't they go to heaven like some euphorial place? Well, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But ultimately, we rule and reign with Jesus Christ on planet Earth. We are being prepped to serve him. And a little thing is a big thing. So the point is, is that Christianity isn't the big escape. It's actually this beautiful training that is taking place in our life. We are being prepared to reign with Jesus. So how we finish matters. Like I just think if we go back last week, it's Pentecost. So that's a, that's a term. It's, it's like root word is 50. It's 50 days after the, the crucifixion. Um, long story short, it's the launch of the church actually, right? Well, who is preaching that day? Good old Pete is preaching. And he preaches and 3,000 of his fellow Jewish countrymen came to faith in Jesus. The church was born. Of all the people God could have used to start the church, so to speak, he used this guy. I love Pete. He failed, I failed, I mean, totally relate. But it, it tells us there's room 
for you. And there's encouragement for all of us. The thing is, if Pete never got past his past, I mean, you know, where would he be today? He certainly wouldn't be in the courtyard of the Church of Rome. And a diversion right there. A Catholic Church there, right up there. Um, Anyways, uh, yeah, like where would he been? The point is, is that he wants us to get past it. And how many of you know the story of Admiral James Stockdale? Have you ever heard of Admiral James Stockdale's Incredibles? I mean, he was the highest ranking officer to be a prisoner of war. He spent seven and a half years in prison in Vietnam. Many who were with him did not survive. And in an interview, Stockdale was asked, well, how did you survive? He said, I never lost faith in the end story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining moment in my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. He was then asked, well, what were the characteristics of the prisoners that did not make it? He said, the optimists. They were the ones who were saying, we're going to get out of Christmas. Christmas never came. Christmas came, but they didn't get out. We're going to get out of Easter. Easter came, they didn't get out. We're going to get out of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving came, we didn't get out. He said, and they died of a broken heart. Listen, Jesus died of a broken heart so we can have a heart of full assurance and give our absolute best that we have our last breath here on planet Earth because one day we're going to rule and reign with him. So again, when we follow Jesus, I mean, when it begins, it's, it's the starting line, it's not the finish line. Paul understood that his citizenship was in a kingdom. We're not talking about euphoria, ultimately. We're talking about material on planet Earth, and we need to remember that. You know, there's a cemetery in Switzerland near the Matterhorn where many great mountain climbers are buried, and one of the tombstones reads, he died climbing. I love that. It doesn't read he died hibernating, he died procrastinating, he died luxurating, he died climbing. And that's God's call in our life as well, right? Forgetting those things which are behind, keep reaching forward to why the Lord has called you. And it's like, why has he called me? Well, I'll tell you this, I know he's called you to know him, to experience his resurrection power, to be more like him in love and be courageous, involving out of your comfort zone, to keep moving forward, to get past your past. Don't let anything keep you from living out your full potential in Jesus, to love your neighbor as yourself, to forgive, to be courageous with truth. I mean, we've just only begun to identify why it is he's laid hold of us to his glory. Can I hear an amen to that? So Lord, thank you for you. And as we huddle up, so to speak, this morning, we just remember this play, so to speak. This strategy, like know Jesus, power of resurrection, fellowship of suffering. Thank you. Thank you for this clear direction. Thank you for the most wonderful church. And I just want to pray now, Lord. And I just want to ask, please, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give an invitation to anyone here that would like to open the door of their heart to Jesus Christ. Let me, let me share something with you, my friend. Is that, you know, this was written to believers. Uh, you know, resurrection, assurance, I mean, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, this was written to a group of individuals who had received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And 
And the, and the Lord wants you to have the assurance of these things, seriously. Like he loves you. He totally, totally loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. I mean, he, he wants to come into your life. And so I'm not, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not even talking, like, you don't have to agree with me. I mean, I talked a lot of stuff this morning. You don't have to agree with me. I'm not, this is not a call to follow me, nor this church. It's a, it's a call to follow Jesus Christ. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Meaning, it's like there's no way someone can even turn to Christ unless they hear the truth about him. And the truth is, there's a God in heaven. We're not a byproduct of mindless nature. It's not in the beginning matter, and therefore nothing really matters because there's no authoritative reason for life. No, it's in the beginning, God. He created us. He loves you. He's revealed himself to us in his son who wants to come into your life, give you hope beyond the grave, forgive you of your sins. The best thing is, man, the Lord comes into your life. You're talking about relationships. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. And how do we know it's true? Because he hung blood, gave his life on the cross. And it could be said when he was on the cross, with one hand, he reached up, took the hand of the Father, and with the other, he reaches out to you. He resurrected, he's alive, he's coming again. Recognize what he's done for you, and he wants to come into your life. Like, I didn't know when I would... Before coming, becoming a Christian, I thought it was enough just to believe that God exists. But the Bible says even Satan believes. So it is not enough. I didn't even know the idea that, as Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. I'm like, um, I mean, I had like warm feelings towards Jesus. I was even I was super drawn to Jesus. But I didn't, I didn't realize that there comes a time where I, I need to make a course correction. You know, and that's why Jesus said you must repent. It actually, it means you need to change the way you think. You've been moving in one direction, away from God, turn around, face him. He will embrace you. He'll forgive you. He'll come into your life. And then the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. He really is just a prayer away. It's true. You know, the Bible says that right relationship with God is a gift. The Bible says we're saved by grace. It's a gift, grace. That's what it means, through faith. So it's like, see it? The Lord wants to give you something, my friend. He wants to give you himself love, hope beyond that. He wants to give it to you, but he won't force himself on you. You need to open the door, recognize what he's done for you, be willing to repent, course correct, make a U-turn, and then call upon him. And if you'd like to do that, I'd like to lead you in a word of prayer right where you're seated. And I'm telling you, if you mean it from your heart like this prayer, and this is really just the prayer saying, Lord, forgive me. and Come into my life. I believe in you. I mean, just, but it's, it's like seizing the moment, right? It's like stepping into it. He will honor this. Like 100% convinced. He will honor it because those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. So if you want to pray, you want your sins forgiven, you want to know if you're to die, you'd go to heaven. Man, you want that settled. Man, awesome. Pray with me. And church family, if you want to join, that would be great. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me. 
paying the debt of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life. Fill me with the life of God. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life, making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.